the whole Christmas season that we just went through had as its crux and pinnacle the truth that God is with us. The announcement of the birth of Jesus, the angel said you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Coming out of the last two years, it seemed at times that maybe he wasn't so much. <laughs> Though the truth remains that he is with his people, it can feel at times as, well, maybe we've got reason to question. And so to start off this year, I decided to do a three-part series that I called God Is With Us. And I want to emphasize the is part. Instead of, yeah, God is with us. To be a little bit more emphatic about it. No, he is with us. Because sometimes it can feel as though he's not. Or if he is, he's just distant. And we can end up at sometimes feeling a little bit abandoned in this world. I want to teach you a word that you might not know uh, it as a word or its definition, but you probably have felt the experience of it. The word is this, monophobia. And what it means is the fear of being isolated or alone. All of us experience it at some point. Some of you have this fear much more than others. Why do some fear being alone? Okay, good. Is there a difference between being alone, lonely, and isolated? Are those different? Alone, lonely, and isolated? Is one better than the other? I want, I want to talk, at least introduce this idea where we're going today and talk about the, the difference between loneliness versus isolation. Because one doesn't necessarily mean the other. Loneliness, as I was thinking about this this week, loneliness, what I decided is the state of feeling alone. You can feel alone, in essence, be lonely in the presence of other people. When you want to connect, but the one you want to connect with is unavailable for whatever reason. The feeling of loneliness, the state of being alone, is is more profound the deeper the relationship should be. So, for instance, in the context of a marriage, when one partner is unavailable to connect with, though they're married, those two people, one of them at least, can feel very lonely. Right? Same thing with children. The relationship between a child and a father or the child and the mother should be profound, deep, secure, and safe. But when one is unavailable to the other, that relationship of parent to child is fractured and one of them feels lonely. Loneliness can occur even when a person is not isolated. Would you agree? So then what is isolation? Isolation is the state of being by oneself. And that can be good, can't it? That can be times of, of refreshing and times of restoration. When I choose isolation from other people, it can only be time for contemplation and rest. Jesus often was isolated. 
when he would go to a deserted place by himself to pray and to be with the Father. And so there is a profound difference in loneliness and isolation. And the key to it, in my mind, seems to be if you feel abandoned. Because we can be alone and not be lonely. We can be in isolation and be a good thing. We can be in a crowd of people and feel completely lonely. And it has to do with if we feel abandoned. Would you agree? There was a study that I read this week that said that older people who feel, even if they're not, but if they feel socially abandoned, they have an increased risk of earlier death by as much as 26%. Imagine what it does to children. And imagine seeing the results of the last two years in the coming years. Feeling socially abandoned. Some parents have, have such a concern that their child not be lonely at school, right? If you're a parent, you've probably experienced this. I just want my kid to have friends, right? I just want them to have friends. And some parents will go to extreme measures to make sure that their kids are not alone. Honestly, it's okay for our children to be alone sometimes. As long as we've taught them that they're not abandoned. to teach them the blessing of loneliness and to teach them how to feel that they're not abandoned. Think about it for a minute. Have you ever chosen to be alone, to be isolated? It was probably a, for good reasons, right? It was good for you. It, there, was, there was some productivity in being alone. Have you ever felt lonely and abandoned? And those times are probably pretty difficult and scary. Right? God wants us to know a couple things. And for the context of this message, I think you, God wants us to understand that isolation can be good because it allows us time to be only with him. That's a good thing. Sometimes we need to come apart and be with him before we come apart. Did you catch that? Yeah. A little play on words, you understand? Yeah. But God also wants us to know that he's always with us and we never are abandoned. Even though he calls us sometimes to be alone in isolation. God's message over and over and over throughout the Old Testament to his people before the revelation of God himself in the person of Jesus. God continually reassured his people time and time and time again that he is with us and he has his people have no reason to fear. 
Go all the way back in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verse 6. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. God continues throughout the Old Testament to say, don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Be bold. And every time God says something like that, he follows it up with the reason why we're not to be afraid or scared or frightened. Or and the reason is because he is with us. Deuteronomy 31, 8. He, God, will be with you. He'll not leave you. He'll never forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, God reassures his people before it's revealed in the person of Jesus that I am with you. Isaiah 41, 3. It is God who says, fear not, for I am the one who is with you and helps you. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Over and over and over, God, before the revelation of Jesus in the God in the flesh, came, God constantly reassured his people, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, I'm with you. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, guess what? I'm with you. Joshua 1, 9, do not be, be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is what? With you, wherever you go. And then upon the revelation of Jesus into our world, Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. So don't be frightened and don't be dismayed. I'm with you. Why is it we allow ourselves to feel abandoned then? The anchor text for this three-week series is Psalm 139, 7, 8, 9, 10. It's a passage of scripture that I memorized when I was a child. Now, in dating myself, you go way back to the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and back in those days, my mom had all these Christian posters. A poster is a thing that's on a picture that's on paper <laughs> that you would attach to a wall. It's not something that I post on my wall. It was a physical thing of paper that was attached to a wall. And so my mom, and I love her for it, had all of these Christian posters around the house. And one of those was a poster of this very verse. I'm going to, show, I'm going to read to you, Psalm 139, 70, 19. And, and this, this scene was kind of in reds and, and, and yellows and golds and black. And, and it had this, this eagle kind of flying into either a sun or is there a sunset. It depends on if you're an optimist or a pessimist. <laughs> and, and I saw this, this poster every day. You know, one of the things that my parents did very, very, very well was keep the word of God always before our eyes. There's a good lesson in that. Where can I go from your spirit? The psalmist asks. Where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. How can I get away? How do I get away from you? Is that even possible, God? If I go up to the heavens, guess what? You're there. If I might my dead in the depths of hell, even... You're there. 
If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. I'd encourage you, print that, post it, memorize it. Because the Bible continually reassures that God is with us, with emphasis. See, the fact is this, that while we may feel abandoned, we are, never are abandoned. That's the truth. But this is one of those things that we have to convince ourselves of because we'll talk ourselves out of the belief of it. See, we have to be convinced of this as fact because what happens is that in times of difficulty, our feelings oftentimes override the reality of the facts. And so we end up feeling as if we're abandoned and alone. And the times we feel the most abandoned are in the wilderness of life, the valleys of life, and the storms of life. The wilderness, when it's all desolate, dry, barren. The valleys, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself. The storms and the rages, waves are crashing over the boat and I'm about to capsize and drown. Those are the times that we're most likely question, is God really with me? Just the word wilderness is listed over 300 times in the Bible as the place of loneliness, of barrenness, of desperation and desolation, a wasteland over 300 times. The wilderness are those places in our lives where we're absolutely unsure of everything. It's the places of the unknown when all we have are questions and no answers. Have you been there in the last couple of years? It's the places of wilderness, of intense experiences, and it's not all good. The wilderness in the Bible can be a geographical location where I'm in a place I don't want to be literally. It is also a psychological and emotional location within myself. I know you know that all too well. It's the wilderness. It comes to us in things like this. It questions. Do I stay in a job I don't like or do I try something new and risk it all? Just a wilderness of an unknown. Do I get into school and get out of it quickly and go into debt and be in debt forever or do I take a very long time and Drag it out, but never go into debt. Squat. Do I stay single and do things God's way and run the risk of never getting married or do I lower my standards just so I'm not alone? <laughs> the wilderness are those times when, when, when you have put in the hard work and you have trusted God and it, it just has not worked out like you thought it would. And you look at what everybody else does who is not trusting God, it looks like it's going okay. So maybe you cash in your chips and do it that way. It's a wilderness. You're stuck. You want to know why we get into wilderness? Well, if you don't, leave. I mean, that's why we're talking about. If you don't care, just leave. Well, seriously, you're going to do it? Here, here's, here, here's why. Wilderness seem always to come after mountaintops. Just see if this isn't true. 
If you're a Christ follower, don't let it surprise you that after every mountaintop experience of God is going to be followed by a wilderness. Do you know what the most difficult day is for me in my week? Sunday. Sunday evening. Sunday evening is the absolute most difficult day for me. And, and if I'm honest, it's, it's Sunday morning right before I preach. And it's Sunday night after all this is done. Because for me, I love you. I mean, I really do. I get more excited about Sunday morning than even about Friday night. Yeah, no. Y'all who know me know that's saying something right there. If I could give y'all a headbutt as you come in this church, I would. Wouldn't I, Colton? Colton, you know I would. I so enjoy time with you and time with my God. And I so enjoy opening up this word and teaching and preaching and worship. And for me, it's a mountaintop. And what happens after that? I'm going to go through it tonight. I'm telling you. Come the wilderness of loneliness and questions and doubts. And I think those times are important. Because see if this isn't true. We enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we experience God in the wilderness. And God wants us to enjoy him forever, but he also wants us to experience him intimately. And it ought not surprise us that this is the way of things. We see it in the Bible and we even see it in Jesus. From the mountaintop to the wilderness, the difference in Jesus and me, amongst other things, is that he handled the wilderness really, really well. But think about Jesus even, the mountaintops. At his own baptism, Father from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. I'm pleased with him. And immediately out into the wilderness where he's tempted and tested for 40 days. Mountaintop to wilderness. Even Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, when he was transfigured into the glory of God where that was upon him, goes from the mountaintop down into the wilderness. And he heard on the mountaintop, again, this is my son whom I love and I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. And then he came down from the mountaintop to the wilderness of people's unbelief and doubt. This is more than, well, it's just the way life goes. There's purpose to and in the wilderness. See, this is God's way of doing things. He gives us moments of complete joy and energy in him when everything is great. Have you, do you remember what it was like when everything was great? Some of you are like, ah, it's been a while. Think back 2019, maybe, some, sometime back then. But we have those moments like, yeah, this is, <laughs> And then God gives us moments where we have to experience him in the wilderness. And here's what happens. And here's why. See, our, 
Our deepest need becomes a gift when it drives us to depend on God. And here's what happens. When the, we're on the mountaintops, we're not aware of our deepest, most profound needs. Only when we get into the wilderness of despair and abandonment. And in those times, our deepest need becomes a gift because it drives us to depend on God. There's purpose to the wilderness. This is the way God has done things all through Scripture. Way back in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah, one of the greatest prophets ever that God used for incredible, miraculous, mighty moves of God. God used him in huge ways from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop, from success to success, from victory to victory to victory. And then in a moment, he falls into deep despair and depression and feelings of abandonment. Mountaintop to wilderness. Let me give you the context before I give you the content about Elijah. There was an evil king, and his name was Ahab. And you know how they say behind every good man is a great woman? Well, behind every evil king, there was an even more evil queen. And her name was Jezebel. Did you ever notice that with all the babies being born, I haven't ever known anyone to name their little girl Jezebel? It's probably a good thing. Nor Benedict. You know, you just don't, that's not a name you want to, it just, I guess Cumber, Cumberbun, whatever his name is. And so you got Ahab and Jezebel, just brutal, terrible people. Elijah was the prophet of God who experienced this incredible move and power of God. And he faced this evil king with bravery, with conviction, with faith. He was bold and he was victorious. And he proclaimed a drought over the entire land in response to the king's sin. And the king didn't like Elijah, and he sent his forces to kill Elijah. And Elijah spent three years on the run. And during those three years on the run, God miraculously washed over him, put his hand on him, covered him, protected him, provided for him. He couldn't be touched. During this whole time, Elijah, God uses him in an incredible way to raise a, a, a family son back to life. Incredible mountaintop experience. He goes to an actual mountain called Mount Carmel and does battle with 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And during that process, calling down fire from heaven, and God so consumes the entire altar that it is unquestionable that God is alive and in heaven and active through Elijah's life. Then does battle with the 850 prophets and kills them all. And after that, Elijah calls down fire or calls down rain from God because there had been a drought, pronounces rain upon the land, and it just torrents mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. And he enjoyed the favor of God. But God knew he needed an experience of him as well. 1 Kings 19. If you've got a good Bible, 1 Kings 19 is there. Now Ahab, the evil king, told Jezebel, the even more evil queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah and said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make you uh, make your life like that of one of them. You realize what she said, right? You're on the clock, you got 24 hours, you're done. <laughs> this boy, 
had gone mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. He just raised a kid to life. He's got to be thinking, fine, you think you're going to kill me? I'll just get up. 850 prophets, not a problem. You're some woman that has ups. You're upset at me? <laughs> Bring it. I mean, he's been mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. So I've seen the fire of God come down from heaven. You think I'm going to worry about you? You sending me a, a nasty text? <laughs> Look what he does. Elijah was what? Bold? Elijah was what? Full of faith? Elijah was what? Full of conviction? Confidence? Assurance? Elijah was what? Afraid. Afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He laid down under the broom bush and fell asleep. One nasty, arrogant, evil, entitled woman gets tired of this guy, gets angry with him, sends him a really nasty text message posts some stuff about him, says stuff behind his back, and he feels threatened. And he runs away into the wilderness. Because wilderness always follow mountaintops. When it says that he ran away, if you do the geography of it, he ran a hundred miles. And he runs in the wilderness, he's afraid, he's stuck, he's hurting, he's depressed. He's doubting, he's questioning, you ever been there? Feel completely abandoned? And he said words that he probably all said at some point, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I can't take any longer, I'm worn out, I'm burned up. I got nothing left in the tank. Enough. Just enough. I'm at the end of my rope. And I've always been able to tie a knot in and hold on. I can't do that anymore. I'm done. I've been in this marriage a long time. I'm done with it. These kids drive me crazy. Can't wait till they're out. I'm done with faith. I'm done with hope. I'm done. I gotta take another day. If I have to take one more hit, He's probably saying words that we've all said at some point. I am exhausted. I'm worn down and I'm worn out. Right? I've been strong for everybody else and I got no strength left for me. I'm done. I have been there for everybody. Nobody's been there for me. And all I get in return is blame and fault. I'm done. Right? It's a wilderness. And when you're done, the emotion overrides the fact. Where is God when we're done? 
if you missed the point of that, Without getting caught up in the emotion of the whole I'm done thing, huh? Like, ooh, See, in the wilderness, sometimes God takes us there to make us rest and to make us talk to him. In Psalm 23, the writer of Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. Sometimes God takes us to the wilderness so we can deal with our soul. Watch Elijah, watch this. Go back to 1 Kings. All at once, an angel touched him. He said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and he laid down again. He's done. I love what God does in taking care of him, and I love what God doesn't do. Notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't preach a sermon to him. God doesn't blame him. God doesn't give him verses to memorize. God doesn't say, go be part of a small group or Sunday school class. He doesn't do anything. Because God knows Elijah is more than just tired. And what God knows about Elijah is what he knows about us when we're in wilderness places, that we need restoration to experience his grace. Watch what God continues to do. I love this about God. I just saw the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. This is what I love about God. See, God, and the angel came back, uh, what? A second time. This is what I love about God knows that I don't always get it the first time around. Like God had given enough, it should have been enough. But for Elijah, it wasn't enough. And so he got what God gave, and then he went back to sleep because he was done. And an angel comes back a second time because God knows that sometimes I don't get it the first time. And God is oftentimes the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. And he doesn't lecture, and he doesn't bemoan, and he doesn't blame. He just says, let me give you a little bit more of what I gave you before because I know you need a little bit more, but I still got a job for you. Because God knows that the grace I need is the grace of a second chance. Right? I need the grace of a second chance. And so Elijah then runs 40 days into a cave. Now watch this. You've been around the church a little bit in the Old Testament. You kind of know this story. I'm going to unpack it a little bit. But he goes into this cave and he's still in a wilderness in the cave. Like inside himself. Look what he says. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Like I have been on fire for you, God. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altar and they put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one. You ever been there? I'm the only one. I'm the only one who stayed. I'm the only one who showed up. I'm the only one who's been faithful. I'm the only one who's continued. I'm the only one that has not been chased out or chased away or, or worn down or beat. I'm the only one left. And now they're coming after me. Do you know what ha- you know what wilderness does to us? It makes us whine. Right? It makes us whine. I've done all this and I've been so good and I've been trying so hard. And people don't like me anymore and people are mean. I don't even want to do this anymore. I'm a really good guy, too. See, the reason why we whine in the wilderness is because we can't see beyond our own need. And in those moments, we need an experience of God. And this is the point of it all. Verses 11 and 12. This is, this is, this is, the point of the wilderness and what you do when you're in them. Do you want to know? Do you want to know what to do when you're in the wilderness? The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Ooh, boy, get ready now. Right? Like when God shows up, stuff happens. When Moses, when God was going to pass by Moses, God said, you hide yourself in the cleft of the rock. You can't see me. You look at me, you die. Like, I'm a big deal here. And now he tells Elijah, I'm about to show up now. Get ready. So if you were in a wilderness, if you had seen, if you had called down fire from heaven, if you had caused a drought, if you had called out the rain, if you had been a part of 850 evil prophets, like, and God says, now get ready, I'm about to show up. You're thinking, boy, this is going to be good. Now, this is what I've been waiting for. I raised that little boy to life. I can't wait to see what God's going to do this time, right? right. <laughs> Let's get ready. Then the great and powerful wind tore through the mountains. That's what we're waiting for. Tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. There we go. Now God's going to shake stuff up. But the Lord wasn't in an earthquake. The earthquake was a fire. Finally, God just lighted it on fire. Man, burn it down, burn it up, let it, let it rain down. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. What is going on? And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I'll give you one guess where God was. And it wasn't in the first three. He was in a wilderness. Elijah was, and he needed an experience with God and of God. And a powerful wind tore the mountain apart. And the ground shook by the earthquake, and a fire burned through the mountain. Yet God was in the whisper. We'd expected God, if he's going to show up and do something, to do something big. Give us an experience. Boy, tear through the mountain. Shake it up. Burn it down. Light it on fire. You're God, for goodness sake, right? 
Why wasn't God in the remarkable? Why did he choose a whisper? You know why God was so quiet? We talked about this at my Bible and Bruise thing last Monday night. Why wouldn't God show up powerful, loud, and big? He doesn't have to. See, God whispers because God is close. And when I'm close, I don't have to holler. Do you understand? If I were far away, now I got to shout so you can hear me. But because I'm close, I can whisper. And he doesn't have to shout to get our attention because it's the whisper that draws us close to him. We can't hear him when he whispers when we're far away. And that is one reason why so many people want a big, profound move of God. Because they're not close enough to hear his whisper. I mean, not us, other people. God says, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you in every moment, in every wilderness. I whisper to you when you're in the wilderness so you'll stay close to me when you feel like walking away from me. See, when we're in the wilderness and we think God has abandoned us, we want to walk away. Because if he's walked away from us, why would I? And so he whispers to keep us close because he knows we can't walk away from him and hear his whisper. And so I'm reminded in it, of our anchor text. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? God, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, God, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, no matter where I go, even in the wilderness, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. When you hear his whisper, realize that that deepest need that you're experiencing, he's reminding you that that is a gift because it's drawing you to depend on him. Because he wants you close. It is very true that we enjoy God on the mountaintops. And that's a good thing. But we experience God in the wilderness. And if you're in the wilderness right now, I told you what to do when you're in the wilderness. I'm going to break it down for you right here. Here it is. It's real simple. This is not profound. When you're in the wilderness, here it is. It's real simple. Slow down. Stop. And listen for his whisper. You won't hear it far away from him. He whispers because he's drawing you close. Because he wants to be close enough for a whisper. Slow down. Stop 
and listen for his whisper. This year, some of us are going to be tempted to be a mighty wind. To blow hard and blow loud and make some happen. This year, some of us are going to be tempted to be like the earthquake and just freaking shake things up. God's got to do something. Some of us are going to be tempted to be the fire that burns stuff down or lights a fire under somebody because God's got to do something. Be careful. Slow down. Stop. Listen for his whisper. He wants you to be close first. And so in setting up this year in this series, I want you to pray with me. If you're in a wilderness, or if you just want to be more aware of the whisper of God, I want you to pray. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, reveal yourself in your whisper. Show me that you're with me. Show me that you're close. Show me that your grace is enough. I trust you, even in the wilderness. Be my peace in uncertainty. Be my strength in weakness. Be my healer in infirmity. Be my provision in need. Be my comfort in discomfort. Be my sustainer in this broken world. In every moment of my wandering, I will trust you. Father, I pray over us as a church and as a community. There is not a day ahead of us that you have not already seen. And there's not a moment in our future to which you have not already been. Only you know what tomorrow brings. We choose in this day to trust you. Give us attentive ears to listen for your whisper. When you choose not to show up with the profound, bold, and miraculous, help us remember that you have already showed up in a whisper. We choose to trust you. In your name I pray, amen.